Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back, everyone, to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And of course, before we get into the topic of today, we're going to cover whatever's going on within the Halo community right now. Uh, and the, the only thing that really stuck out to me was YouTuber The Vengeful Vadam is doing this reach overhaul, and he's calling it Halo Reach Evolved. And, and, it he, looks- and he's trying to make it... Like the original trilogy, right? Similar mm-hmm. to that? Yeah, so like little things like the Spiker is now a shotgun. The DMR, I think, is back to being a BR. All the Spartans 3s, they're all just like that olive green mm-hmm. now. So a lot of little things like that, as well as like whenever you kill an elite, the energy sword disappears. So like a oh, callback to like okay. Combat Evolved. It's it's odd how he's picking and choosing. I know he took the Revenant made it blue and gave it like a plasma flamethrower. So it's just kind of this machine of death. So is is he doing it for both? Is it a campaign mod or is it a full game mod? I think it's campaign. Okay, cool. I, and I which I didn't know that you could mod Xbox 360 games because mm-hmm. the first part of the video is a long dive into like this is the kind of modded Xbox you need to get from this place and then you need to download these files onto the Xbox which I didn't know you could even do. Yeah, cuz I if you look back, it's basically every disk hard drive system. Mm-hmm. Once a new one came out, the especially security patches stopped coming out, so you kind of figure that out. Same thing with Xbox, because I had an Xbox original mm-hmm. that I modded up to just be an arcade machine and play, you know, yeah, tens yeah, of thousands yeah. of other games. So it's similar along those lines, but as it seems systems and security and software gets more sophisticated, mm-hmm. you have to hit, like, this patch crack, with these softwares that mimic this, that do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's move on to the topic at hand today. We are going to be talking about the interactive strategy game. Now, this is the first board game that we would see from the Halo franchise. A handful have been released along with some card games. Mm-hmm. Years from now, I think this is the only one that Bungie had their hands in, though. Okay. Which, you know, once we go through this episode, I can kind of see why they kind of pulled back on doing any more board games. 
So let's dive into more about the game itself. So the interactive strategy game is a turn-based DVD board game released by B1 Games and Genius Products October 9th, 2009. The game features familiar faces such as the Master Chief and the Arbiter, along with Spartan 2s, Marines, Elites, Brutes, and Grunts. The DVD component featured Halo 3 in-game renders of cutscenes and attack clips, along with featuring music from the Halo 3 soundtrack. And is something I just want to add in that I find interesting. Elements of this game are canonical, but as a whole, it's not. Yeah, it's it's one of those spinoffs that they really didn't try mm. and add in. It was just kind of like, okay, here's some material we can use mm-hmm. that could potentially be stuff on the side that happened that we never saw, mm-hmm. but it's obviously not going to stay in canon as we get to how let's say, interesting the game is. Yeah, and, and you know, clearly the Master Chief or the Arbiter being at these certain events, like, clearly that didn't happen. Because yeah. Because we didn't have an Arbiter at the time of any of these events, I, I don't believe, at least, like, the Jericho 7 one. So, but, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that once we break down, like, the, the quote-unquote campaigns in the game. And what I'll start you guys off with, uh, kind of like we did on our previous first comic book episode, a little bit of history of board games themselves. Mm-hmm. I assume all of you have played something, whether it's Monopoly, Settlers of Catan, or, or whatever it is, and family games, if that. So I'll give you guys a quick, brief mini-history on kind of how we got to where we are today. So it's been kind of discovered around 5000 BC or so that the first board game was found in southeast Turkey. It was, it was a set of bone dice. Hmm. Um, and I think there was like 46 of them or so that had your traditional dots in mm-hmm. it that gave way to being like, okay, so numericals were used for this. Obviously, for some possibly gambling thing or, or, you know, whatever it was kind of used for back then, which is pretty interesting. Past the time because there's nothing to do in 5000 CBC in Turkey. Exactly. And so, <laughs> so then coming up to 3100 BC is we see that they're not just some fluke thing. That it was actually very popular with pharaohs in Egypt because we even had hieroglyphics that mm-hmm. showed that. That depicted pharaohs playing various different games or, or depicting them kind of pitting against each other over these these boards. Mm-hmm. So it gave ideas to that. Skipping ahead a bit, you had different chunks in between that that led to like backgammon and various other ancient games. And we go to 400 AD, which is where you see the birth of chess. And we saw this coming about in various other countries. Scotland had their own, while over in like the kind of Russian area had their own styles, different ways of doing it. But it was two armies competing to defeat the other army. Mm-hmm. which is really interesting. It's a pretty cool history with that. Now, two games all of us have kind of either played or recognized. We're into 1903, where we have Lizzie Maggie, one of America's first board game designers, comes out with the Landlord's Game. I'll give you one guess on what the Landlord's Game is. Monopoly. Exactly. So she sold her patent, I think, in the 30s to Parker Brothers, who then re-released it as Monopoly. And if you look, they have a picture I saw online of her old board. Mm-hmm. It's basically what you see today, just with a couple changes. Yeah, because, I mean, even as a kid, I remember playing Monopoly and being like, this seems just very, like, they haven't done much with this. Because, I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Exactly, because she was doing some Gregorian, like, basically against King George type thing. And this is the way of, like, how the Gregorian style of economics would do it. it was, I was kind of reading into it, and it's basically talking about how Forming monopolies and unfair advantages, this is the game to show how that happens. Yeah. Yeah, Which is kind of cool. And we see that with Parker Brothers, you see like Sorry, Risk, all those are released under their name too. Probably, I'd look into too far, but probably buying the patents up Mm -hmm. from other people or 
building it into their game library. Yeah, seeing a diamond in the rough and knowing that it can last to this day. Yep. And then 1978, which is where we find a staple in the gaming community, and it was pushed kind of the games that we play today, is a German organization called Spiel des Harais. Harris? Harris? Uh, sure. Sure. Game of the year. Because I cannot say Hugar. Because that is <laughs> And what this did was it was an organization that started to basically see what was the best games of this year. Similar to like how you have an Oscar or how you have, you know, any of your other award shows. This was for gaming. And it was based off of game concept. So originality, playability, and game value. Rule structure, which gives you the composition of the rules, the clearness of the rules, and the comprehensibility of it. The layout, so the box, the box art, the board and the rules, and the design, the functionality and workmanship of it. And if someone were to be a runner-up or even just mentioned by the spiel, which is what we're going to call it now, <laughs> uh, it, would, it would see sales drive up. I think it was if you sold 500 units, you'd be around ten to 20,000 when you're announced. And if you won, most jumped 300 to 500,000 units sold just from being a part of that it, it really reflects like this idea of like just being a part of some big community or big event can make you extremely popular put you in the news that day you're good tomorrow and it shows the importance of at this time or even within this community of what awards can do because you've obviously you know heard your favorite actor or actress or movie which that does drive sales up mm-hmm. but with this you're seeing games that you may never heard of or they're like, oh, that sounds interesting. I mean, even today when I was looking up who won this year, last year, year before, I'm like, and a lot of these I'd never heard of, but it makes me now want to check them out and play them and see what it's about. Yeah, like it, it's all about like that relevancy and, you know, it, it, same with like the second an actor gets a Golden Globe, mm-hmm. he can get paid more for the, he or she can get paid for the next role. And the same with sometimes you see if like, it's just being in the news, as I said, like you think of like, say, let, let's go for example, when Kanye says something stupid. What happens the next day? His, it, his sales go up. It blows up. because Every time. Yeah, because it's marketing in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's publicity. Even bad publicity is good publicity mm-hmm. because of getting that name out there. Yeah, and, and this is just one of the many great ways, especially nowadays, to where these board games are getting like some more light shined upon them. Yeah, and, and starting with 78 with this, I mean, and I'm, from what I can tell from today of looking it up, they had three categories they're judging it upon. It's basically Game of the Year, which is general, Innovative Game of the Year, and Kids Game of the Year. So mm-hmm. three different categories. But games like Sellers of Catan, Dominion, Hanabi, and Dixit, in my opinion, wouldn't be as popular as they are today if it weren't for the awards they were given. Mm-hmm. And going talking about Sellers of Catan, they were actually one of the first European board games to break out of Europe especially to an American audience. Because hmm. before, I mean, you had the Parker Brothers, you had Hasbro, who were creating games like, I think all of us listening have probably played Monopoly, Risk, Candyland, all of those that were made by one company for the most part. Yeah. But this is one in 95 that was first to kind of break outside of the European game market. Mm-hmm. And I think really pushed that market out to a general audience. Like, you're seeing over 24 million units sold of Selfish Catan and it's been translated to over 30-plus languages. And this has really driven the board game market because you're going to have games like Azul, Codenames, Machikoro, Pandemic, Agricola, and even Ticket to Ride. And a lot of this was really pushed and helped with, with the game of the year and getting those reviews in. 
because we're seeing those on Target shelves. We're seeing those on Amazon. We're mm-hmm. seeing those all over the place. And I have played all of these, and there have been great games. So we're seeing great games from different creators, and this being the first outlet to kind of really quantify it, mm-hmm. I think helps a lot. Yeah. Well, something to even push video games further was in 2009, that was the start of the age of Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who isn't familiar, I know Alex, probably every time I see him, he has a new game that he's talking about on Kickstarter that he's supporting. It basically allows you to pay for the game in full or even like smaller payments, right? Yeah. So you basically cut. You pay for lower than what retail would be potentially, or you get Kickstarter exclusives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that way, it, you know, the company wanting to make the game, they don't have to invest the X hundreds of thousands of dollars into making it. They're just getting the money right then and there. Yeah. It's crowdfunding because. Kickstarter is basically a site that allows users to crowdfund. It's like a mm-hmm. mini investment. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting one investor that gives you $2 million, you have 20,000 people that eventually give you $2 million. Yeah. And, you know, with that, you had games that came from Kickstarter, like Cards Against Humanity, Exploding Kittens, Gloomhaven, Conan, Joking Hazard, Scythe, and Zombicide. Yeah. And those are all huge, huge franchise games mm-hmm. that for the most part, possibly wouldn't have gotten the funding like go to cards against humanity that game they were giving away for free it was you could download the cards if you wanted and cut them out at the Mm -hmm. same time that they were doing this kickstarter but people believed in it and to me cards against was kind of the age of the parties party Mm -hmm. games yeah oh it it definitely changed like a lot of like those card games even like the ones that we were playing saturday yeah so so it really lends itself to pushing the party game expanding outside of the board and or even going more into the board, like with Conan and Scythe, which are these huge, huge kind of like build your world games that are really involved, that really allow the player to experience knowing so much about the game and getting deep dived into like the lore and the culture mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And then, you know, now we have gaming conventions mm-hmm. like just for board games and some that are in the USA are PAX Unplugged, Geekway to the West, Dragon Con, Burning Cat Gen Con, BGG Con, and Dice Tower Con. Yeah, and threw a little cheeky one in there with Geekway to the West. That's in St. Louis. But it's actually a growing con. We average between three to 4,000 people that come out just to play board games and talk with creators and test games out. And it's a fun time. I, I've missed this last year, but I've gone every other year. And it's what, been fun. When will, when will it be next year? I believe it's in July. I think it's in July when these... A lot of them happen during kind of like beginning to end of summer mm-hmm. just to allow travel and... and Time frames to be able to go to these. All right, we can build them for the ad time. All right, deal. <laughs> so yeah, now let's move on to the two main publishers of this game. So let's start with B1 Games. So B1, along with Genius Products, is actually not active anymore. But we were able to get you know info from their old website that's since been discontinued. So from their website, B1 has created over 150 groundbreaking DVD games for major Hollywood studios, including Buena Vista Home Entertainment, Warner Brothers, Fox, Sony Pictures, and New Line Cinema. So another quote from their website is, We are game designers, producers, marketers, and players. We have a full-time staff of over 80 people dedicated to all aspects of DVD production, including game design, package design, authoring, and replication. Wow, that's... That's really neat. That's a. It's like that's the most corporate way you could say that. 
<laughs> our award-winning team ensures that each of our branded properties is the highest quality, both technically and creatively. We are always pushing the limits, and that take that with a grain <laughs> of salt, of the technology to achieve our creative goals. Uh, we're going to go ahead and disprove that statement in this podcast, but continue <laughs> on. Our philosophy is to build games around the property to achieve a cohesive experience. Uh-huh. That promotes the brand. We create new and innovative gameplay for each property. Sure. The the name B1 symbolizes our belief in bringing families and friends together and truly interactive shared experience. Wh- what does that mean? I don't get that. B1 board game one? Uh, that stands for uh, the billions of ones that they made making all of these <laughs> wonderful, wonderful games that everyone remembers. So, so yeah, we... They they have 150 you know quote unquote groundbreaking titles that they say, but earlier Alex and I were kind of talking and they have like those lists. But other than the Halo interactive strategy game, it's, it's really hard to find anything that they've done. Yeah, and they, they did the 24 board game DVD board game, which when I was looking up DVD board games, because there was a small period where that was popular. Um, you had some horror games that were actually really, really fun. There were DVD board games, but 24 ranked up in the top 15, top 20 for most of the sites I looked at. So that is one of their staples. But as we're reading through their full list, they had stuff like A Bug's Life, Santa Claus 1 and 2. Some, yeah, some Scooby-Doo stuff. Some Scooby-Doo stuff. That's, some Harry Potter stuff. That's street cred right there. Yeah, and, and a lot of Disney properties. But when I went to find out what they worked on, there wasn't much on the web. If you guys can find anything and send it our way, cool. Because I looked up various different Google searches. I looked in Wayback Machine for a lot of things. Couldn't find them, mm-hmm. but they are groundbreaking. So you know they've got to be out there. <laughs> this was the first time that Alex and I really were kind of stumped on getting like a lot of information. Not stumped, but it wasn't like easy. You, couldn't, you can't just Google B1 games because the only thing that will come up is the Halo strategy or the interactive strategy game. Yeah, I, I teach... Jesse about the way back. I know about it. I just didn't think he's not an internet reference. He's not an internet kid. So now let's move on to Genius Products. Again, kind of a a company where you can't really find much. I was able to find a a Wikipedia page about them with some limited information. I think they did more of the you know the DVD publishing aspect of it to help out with that. So Genius Products was a toy and DVD publishing company based out of Santa Monica, California. In late December 2005, they announced a joint venture with the Weinstein Company. In 2009, Quadrant Management would acquire 60% of the company. In 2019, after 23 years of business and $8.5 million worth of debt, Genius Products had to file for bankruptcy. So very recently, which Alex also just confirmed a second ago that... The new Genius products, no relation to the sold one, is uh, something to do with cannabis. It's a cannabis distribution. You know, they're just changing it up. <laughs> it went from DVD distribution to cannabis distribution. Normal progression. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, as you uh, you had said earlier, they kind of just helped promote the products that were coming out. So this was something, this is just another thing that they were working on. And I find it kind of weird that they were they were doing a lot of stuff for WWE and that was one of the biggest companies that they were in debt with at the time of them going under. Yeah, I know they produced and helped to distribute, you know, like toys, DVDs, marketing strategies for all those things. And like you said, being acquired by Weinstein Company and then being acquired by Quadrant Management, it's kind of frustrating that you build up that amount of debt because 
it just seems like it was a lot of bad business ventures, like going in with B1. Yeah. Going in where, where it looks like DVD games are the future. People want to sit there for 45 minutes and try and click through menus. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, now, now that we've gotten through some backstory about board games and the companies that helped bring this piece of art to fruition. Yeah, piece of art. Let's talk about the gameplay of the game itself. Now, the game relies on each player having each character take a limited amount of moves each turn or attacking an enemy with, within the appropriate distance because you can't attack and move on the same turn. Though, if an enemy ends their turn while next to an opponent, they can melee the opponent. Each species has its own stats, and these stats include attack, movement, and defense. Within this game, I mean, if, if you picture stuff... Kind of like a turn-based Final Fantasy Tactics game, mm-hmm. Fire Emblem. It's that similar thing. It's it's any game that gives you a movement base, an attack base, a health base. And then we'll see coming up a little bit as they add in equipment and weapons, you get some perks with it. Mm-hmm. So the idea was there. Like, like yeah. we'll, we'll try and reserve our opinion as much as we can till kind of the end of it. But the idea for this game was there. And it's, it's a world-building game because you could kind of create your own maps. Mm-hmm. And there was a bunch of different aspects that worked with it. And we'll see kind of going forward and where that succeeded and where it failed. Yeah, because as I said, there, there was a lot of good ideas here. And we'll talk about that more. But when they got, you know, their execution just kind of fell really, really short. Yeah, because one thing that I thought was interesting was that Players can equip weapons and equipment from their faction. So whether it's Covenant or UNSC-based. Mm-hmm. And these equipment and weapons can be obtained when a player lands on either a Halo token or on a weapon token. Mm-hmm. And they're random. So if you play it, and we'll get to the DVD aspect, you can either play with the DVD or without it. And that kind of determines what you'll get from those. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing that I like with the weapons is that the stats gave you range where you could shoot someone. Mm-hmm. And then also your damage, which was either with the DVD, which is which is total BS, or you would roll that number of dice, which would mm-hmm. be like if you could attack them or not. Yeah, you had, you had these dice that had the Covenant symbol or the UNSC symbol mm-hmm. on it, and you just add them up and go from there. Yeah, so let's talk about all the characters featured within the factions. So, you, it, of course, it's split between UNSC and the Covenant. So you had on the UNSC side, Master Chief, some Spartan 2s, and Marines. On the Covenant side, you had the Arbiter, Elites, Brutes, and Grunts. I don't know why the Brutes are in this game, because they're, they're not in any of the campaigns. No, and we'll get to the campaigns w- when we go to it, but it's pretty much just Elites with some Grunts against some Spartan 2s with some Marines. Yeah. So then with weapons, for the UNSC weapons, we had the Assault Rifle, Battle Rifle, Pistol, Rocket launcher, shotgun, sniper rifle, and the submachine gun. For the Covenant weapons, we have the beam rifle, brute shot, spiker, Covenant carbine, energy sword, fuel rod, gun, gravity hammer, mauler, needler, the plasma pistol, and the plasma rifle. So pretty much everything that you're mostly seeing in Halo 3. Yeah, for the most part, just about everything. And as far as getting those Halo tokens, Mm -hmm. you could get both frag and plasma grenades, radar jammer, bubble shield, grav lift, invincibility and then one that you could get is flood which is an instant death to your character Mm -hmm. which was mm, i'll say fun (laughs) yeah so grunts and marines uh could not be equipped with certain weapons like clearly a marine couldn't get a uh 
a sniper rifle or anything like that, but the uh, grunts and marines could have any kind of equipment. Yes, so, so the equipment was for anybody, mm-hmm. which is still kind of weird, but it allowed you know you to play with invincibility, invisibility, using those you know using those to keep an advantage, which would keep you alive for a turn or to help out another player. Yeah. So now you know we hit, this game really sold kind of the base building aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So with bases, they're pretty simple in the game, and the pieces used to build them are almost identical in color which did make following not even the instructions. They just had a photo to build these. It was kind of challenging. Yeah. Imagine just giant mega blocks. Not even Legos because they're not even clicky. I'm giving them mega blocks yeah, territory. It, it, it also didn't stick together. It was very, it, they were just very lackluster. It was stackable pieces. It was like yeah. blocks. It was stackable yeah. pieces where you could make bridges, you could make bases. They also had some fences thrown in. That, that you did could, not interlock? No, that didn't interlock because the game is garbage. Till the end. Till I'll, I'll make, yeah, it, I'll make, yeah, I'll make it till the end. end. But it added these aspects in that would help you either create walls or create obstacles. And then they also had uh, tokens that would be for like teleporters mm-hmm. so, and also like mission objectives. Yeah. So the game provides the quote unquote instructions for five bases that the player can build on their own. But the game also encourages that the player build their own bases which makes sense because you're wanting to be a base building game Mm -hmm. why not make it like oh you know the elites have to make it up this hill we build to get to this base to do this thing yeah instead of because once you're bored of the five scenarios then you can kind of mix it up yeah it it was they didn't provide that much though you couldn't really have done that much no and and it was one of those games where they really left it up to the imagination of like Mm -hmm. oh you want to put those things in the board Put them somewhere. <laughs> well, where do they go? Uh, on the board. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, this had a lot of parallels with the actual Halo video games. And with that, you know, let's start out with the fact that it had difficulties. Mm-hmm. So, it no easy mode for me. A little frustrating, but I dealt with it. You and I, when we played, we just did normal. So, there's normal, heroic, and legendary. As a tradition, mm-hmm. we're not we're not jumping to legendary. <laughs> yeah, we did not do legendary because that that game that we played would have lasted a few hours. hours. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, initially, whenever you have a combat situation in normal or two characters go against each other, if someone's attacking the other and that character loses, you know, defending, they die instantly. Yeah. So, so the the attacker, if the attacker wins, defender's dead. Mm-hmm. If there's a draw or defender wins, it's null. But whereas I think it's like heroic and legendary, you actually have like a, a shield bar that goes down a notch every time. So that, you I believe lose. that's only in, in legendary, okay, okay. which we'll get to. And of course, you had other standard rules. Like if a character is out of the game for any reason, all the Halo and weapon cards for that character are placed at the bottom of the appropriate stacks. Also, characters cannot switch weapons with one another, and striking from a level above does not add range. So the basic of basic, and we we did that at first just to kind of go through, mm-hmm. see what the game's about, and added some rules because it, like, once again, it's this game is interesting because. There are clear-cut rules on, especially combat. They really focused on combat. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, it's like, mm, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll see that a little bit more in Heroic. So same rules as normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if a character draws a weapon card that they cannot use, the weapon card is placed on the weapon token 
instead of just like redrawing until you find one. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you're a grunt or marine that's picking up something you're not supposed to, you shit just don't out, get it. Yeah, shit out of luck, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and then also when a character is eliminated from the game for any reason, all the weapon and halo cards that the character has will be placed in the space where he is eliminated. Mm-hmm. So again, kind of picking up that idea of trying to take inspiration from the Halo games. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to make it more interesting, I mean, normal playthrough, we did it because we were trying to get through every campaign and get through the multiple modes mm-hmm. without going crazy at one sitting. Yeah. It, I wouldn't say it's the game mode to play. I would say you want to go heroic at a minimum. Legendary is mm-hmm. probably your best bet to really get your true aspect of this game. If you want to get your money's worth, yes. then yes. Yeah, so also, if a character is claiming a discarded weapon card is switching weapons, the weapon he does not want is placed on the board and can be claimed by another character. The character picking up a new weapon must also be able to use the weapon, which is listed on the weapon card. If a character is eliminated from the game while on a weapon or halo token space, then they drop all their items on the space. Players landing on the tokens can claim the items or draw a card. A very... Very drawn out way to say, if you die, put your stuff down, someone can pick it up. Yeah, I think, and definitely they they updated these rules, because they, at one point, they, the interactive strategy game had a website, mm-hmm. and so they would post all the updates there. Clearly, I think this was the most updated one I could find online, because I compared it to the one that I had, like, in my hand, and somehow they're still just making these a lot more complicated. They're, t- I mean... There's some easier ones. I mean, here's characters can switch weapons with one another if they are on the same team and on adjacent squares. If a player chooses to exchange a weapon with another character, this counts as a turn, which kind of sucks. Halo cards, <laughs> Halo cards, though, cannot be exchanged between characters and heroic. Well, also, they had another one. If a character is striking from a tower, his range is increased by one. And then the the final kind of heroic rule they had is a character with a grenade can use a turn to remove a fence blocking their path or range but the fence must be in the range of the grenade the fence is then removed from the board and grenades cannot destroy towers also the grenade card goes at the bottom of the halo card stack once it's used this is very helpful because i actually wish we would have done kind of heroic now because i would have you mean for all those grenades you got <laughs> that we never picked is great we actually never got grenades no nope. we never did no but it- you can add fence, and there's a couple campaign maps where they'll throw a fence on very strategic areas that mm-hmm. either make your path longer or that are holding an objective. So you can use grenades to, you know, customize your path, mm-hmm. as you would. Yeah. And so we moved to Legendary, which, once again, takes all those normal and heroic rules that aren't adjusted yet and gives you, if an attacking character wins an attack, the defending character loses one energy point so on each card you have energy which is your life force Mm -hmm. so the master chief and arbiter of the most then elites and spartan twos and then grunts marines so it starts with those and then once a character loses all energy points they're out of the game i don't know what else you would expect but they're out of the game entirely but my favorite little bit with that rule is that players will need paper and pencil to track each character's energy points they didn't think of adding like a little tick or anything to the game card Mm -hmm. or or this is what you can do. And this is really where we see technology jumping into <laughs> this game. You can download the character energy checklist found on the DVD-ROM. You pl- pluck that baby into your computer, download it. <laughs> yeah, so 
Also, if an attacker wins using an energy sword, he is only drawn to the defender square if the defending or if the defender is out of energy. Yeah, because if you if you melee attack and you kill them, you melee into their space. Yeah. So also, when engaging in a melee, the losing character is out of the game. And energy is not tracked for a melee. It is an automatic elimination, which is odd. Because, because yeah, wouldn't you just melee instead of using the energy sword? I, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I. It didn't make a lot of sense for most of it. No, not a lot of it did. So now let's move on to the most important groundbreaking aspect of this game, which was the DVD, which is why this was so interactive. Yeah, and it was a neat aspect. We popped it in, making fun of it the entire time, but it was still... Work went into it. Work went into it. Clearly, it wasn't just... It it was, and and they did. They did go into theater mode and film some stuff yeah i mean like so 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 the dvd would give you a mission debrief before each campaign mission from either the second generation ai kusanagi which is named after one of those three swords like cortana so that's a that's a callback to our combat evolved episode Mm -hmm. if you haven't listened to that go do that or you'd get a debrief from the Prophet of Candor, who was voiced by Kevin Delaney. I I don't know, man. I don't. Yes, Jesse. It is time for us to finish this episode. <laughs> it was so not good. It was very generic. Bad I'm an old. Guy. I am an old bad guy. Yeah, I mean they and they used the Prophet of Truth down to like having the same helmet, and I'm just mm-hmm. like. Change something. God damn. No, they only just filmed it from the game. They're not going <laughs> to create stuff for this. So if you use the DVD, instead of rolling the dice to see which character wins during a battle, the player would take to the interactive DVD provided by the game to determine the outcome. The player must select the faction that the character attacking belongs to, the character itself, the weapons that they are equipped with, and you also must select the character from the enemy faction and whether or not they have any equipment. So then, as that would happen, the DVD would play these two clips of your character attacking and the Covenant person also attacking, and so, and so it would it would do your character attacking with specific weapon, yeah, and then defender defending with random thing, literally, and then the DVD would determine an outcome. My favorite thing ever was you had a rocket launcher, you were Spartan two with a rocket launcher, mm-hmm. you attacked my grunt with a plasma pistol, and you were facing you. Alex was facing away from the the TV, but every time we would do it, he would turn around. And this one time, he's like, "Oh, I'm totally gonna win." And then he just saw me smiling at him, and he, like, instantly turned around and saw that the Grunt beat the Spartan 2 with a rocket launcher. Yeah, because it makes sense. I, I hate the DVD. <laughs> there was an odd strain of, like, my Grunts took out all your Spartans. Yes. And the DVD is cool. I like that aspect. The DVD can also be used for picking up weapons and Halo tokens. Mm-hmm. So whenever you go over them, you can actually go and say... It's so-and-so from this faction mm-hmm. picking up one of these. Yeah, and and something we had to talk about, like, you know, you get all those weapons, and then you had that flood token, which it would just show up with a screenshot and be like, you're dead. Generic word font. <laughs> you're dead. And somehow you got both, the first time we played, you got both the flood tokens five minutes into the game. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, DVD. <laughs> no, but the DVD, it's it's an interesting aspect, and I'm, once like I said, once again, it, it was a good idea mm-hmm. to start it with. It just wasn't executed 
well in the end, but it added, you know, that interactive ability. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it more. This wasn't, I don't think this was catered for guys in their mid-20s. It was advertised as a family-friendly game. Yeah, so, and, and it definitely allowed for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's move on to the game types. So we have Campaigns, Slayer, and capture the flag so the campaign said three missions Mm -hmm. so the first one was jericho 7 and this is pulled from the rule book an intercepted message reveals a plot to overrun and occupy the planet of jericho 7 the covenant forces prepare their attack from a designated staging point but the unsc has a plan destroy the staging point with a havoc tactical nuke it's the only way to be certain so the UNSC characters must deliver a nuke while fighting off Covenant resistance. The nuke can only be detonated when the UNSC characters return to their base and land on the detonator token. Sure. And so this oh, this division, I believe it was Arbiter, and then you got two Elites and three Grunts mm-hmm. against Master, Master Chief. Chief, and then the Spartan 2s. So you get three Spartan 2s. Yeah. yeah, and all of these had... Because it was technically supposed to be blue team, is what they were trying to say. Yeah, so yeah, those blue ones. And also, Jericho 7 was the first planet in the Halo story that started in Halo The Fall of Reach. And what I mean by that is the book started on Jericho 7. Mm-hmm. So this kind of a callback to that, and this might even been kind of some underlying mission that was going on there at the time. They, they did blow some shit up if i remember at the very beginning it's been it's been a minute since we covered it but i i don't think this was directly what blue team was doing but it's just kind of like a little callback to no that. it was a callback to them kind of running away from that like giant squadron of grunts and mm-hmm. whatnot yeah. or just the three on this board game yeah. but but this is a, we, we went through these in order this is the first one we did and this was the one where alex uh had a rough time yeah to start this off and we'll end with this a little bit later is that the, the game is very unbalanced mm-hmm. with attackers, defenders. So the attackers, who have to stay alive, need to complete an objective. And for the most part, the defenders is just kill the enemy team. And so with this, me, of course, two of my Spartan 2s getting the flood from the sweet DVD immediately, now I'm down to two characters. <laughs> the other thing going back a little bit, as we said earlier, was you're supposed to put, is it eight or six Halo and weapon tokens down? Randomly. Randomly. And it doesn't say put eight weapon ones, eight mm-hmm. Halo ones evenly, and put them randomly. So I was like, okay, I'll just put them all right in front of me. <laughs> I think at one point you just threw a bunch in front of me. Like, oh, oh I think here's some Halo ones in front of you. When it got to it, I started shotgunning it, and I just threw them <laughs> at the board. I go, that's where they are. You, you did. You threw them up in the air, and you're like, and we kind of like scooched them the appropriate spot. You're that's like, where they land. That's where they are. So yeah, and then the second mission is Defense of Castle Base. A key UNSC facility is under attack by the Covenant forces on the planet Reach. What are they after? Nav files. What do the nav files contain? The exact coordinates to planet Earth. Protect the files or lose the Earth. No pressure. That sounded like a cheer. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to lose? The Covenant. Yeah. What, what are they looking for? Nav files. What do the nav files contain? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the Covenant has to go and destroy these two generators and then get these nav files while the UNSC must wipe out the invading Covenant. And this one gave us the most characters, right? Because we maxed out I believe so. with... Uh, U- so he, Jesse stayed Covenant the entire time, and mm-hmm. I stayed UNSC. So he got Arbiter, 
his two elites again, and his three grunts. Mm-hmm. And then I got my Master Chief, my Spartan twos, and my three Marines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no brutes. Because again, brutes did not come up at all in these campaigns. I think they just, I think they just added them because yeah. it was Halo 3 and they go, brutes. We need the brutes. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, this is the first one that I, uh, I, I think I lost this one, right? Yes, because this, this is one where I was a defender. And yeah, so, you had to go around that long area. Yeah, so so the map for Campaign Mission 2, Defense of Castle Base, and this third one coming up, the Hidden Artifact of Reach, it was the same layout with, like, a couple of things changed. Like, the teleporter stayed the same, the main build-out stayed the same, but you had a couple of different options, like, for going around the fences, like we said, or taking the objectives, because Jesse had to take all of his people, past all of my people, mm-hmm. destroy these generators, and then, then go, go back, back up a teleporter, get the nav file, then go back again down the teleporter, mm-hmm. and then cross enemy lines back to his base. Yeah. I will say, though, this was a rough interpretation of the events that happened around the beginning-ish of Halo First Strike. Yeah, so they took a little bit. And I guess I applaud them on that. Of take, but you said Bungie's hand was in this, so yeah. There's, yeah. So this is probably more on Bungie's end of like, ooh, it'd be kind of cool to like just give mm-hmm. callbacks to these things that aren't yeah. necessarily canon lore, mm-hmm. but they give ideas of what could have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like a little insight. Like clearly, Arbiter wasn't on the ground for that. Neither mm-hmm. was Master Chief. Well, he was later on, but what, oh, that could be a whole either different way, speculation. That boiled down to game pieces being your mm-hmm. bosses were typically Master Chief, Arbiter, the strongest characters of the all of them. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had to have yeah. that. Yeah. So then we have the final campaign mission, which is the hidden artifact of Reach. The planet of Reach is lost, and the Covenant forces are seeking Forerunner technology buried within Castle Base. The last remaining UNSC forces dig in for one last stand against the savage Covenant forces in the hopes of stopping them from excavating the deadly technology. The situation is grim. Good luck. So Covenant forces have to make their way to an excavation area on Reach, and at least one character must defend it for seven fucking turns. And this one... This is our shortest campaign. This is the shortest campaign, but it was also probably the most unbalanced. Yeah, absolutely. So this one, again, I believe gave us all the characters except for our bosses. I don't think I got... Master Chief and you got Arbiter. I think it was just an elites and grunts. I, I, I believe Spartans. so, yeah. If not, I think it was everybody then. But you had to do the same thing you had to do for Defense, Defense of, of Castle, Castle Base, Base yeah. and go where the generators were to destroy them, but you just had to sit there for seven turns. Mm-hmm. It's impossible and normal. Yeah. It's impossible and heroic. Legendary is really the only time the, the attacker has a, a somewhat possible chance mm-hmm. for all three of these yeah it's yeah, so this it, this we played this what less than 10 minutes yeah because less than 10 minutes on normal you killed me well and, and we played with the dvd through all of this because we're like you gotta you gotta play with the dvd because that's what the game's about mm-hmm. we did play um slayer and a couple other just random build your own base things with the dice and uh-huh. drawing cards just so we knew what it was but if you're given a dvd you gotta use the dvd so that ended up giving me i think like a fuel rod cannon it gave me a shotgun. It gave me a sniper rifle. So mm-hmm. immediately, I'm already kitted out and was just sniping you from afar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is something I did like, you know, the last little bit of, like, kind of lore that we can get from this is this might have been a possible precursor concept to the second half of the level, the package on Halo Reach. Because mm-hmm. it, it really was the the for, or the Covenant are kind of attacking and you must defend 
I don't know if they ever confirm it's under Castle Base. I can't remember off the top of my head. We'll talk about it when we do Halo Reach. But I kind of liked that idea. It's like, I, I doubt that they were like sitting there in the writer's room for Halo Reach and go, remember that mission on uh, the interactive strategy game? We could get, we could do something with that. We've been playing that campaign over and over again. <laughs> of course I remember. Yeah. It, I think it, a little more coincidental, but I think that was always kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So now let's move on to Slayer. And I think actually that's when my girlfriend showed up and you were just like, hey, you're going to play now. You're playing now. <laughs> so he dragged her into that. Yeah. And, and so for both Slayer and Capture the Flag, the game did give some sample layouts or a sample layout for each, mm-hmm. and we played with those, and then we eventually kind of made our own with it and added the Brutes in, because uh, why not? We haven't played with them yet, and they're in the DVD. They're in the DVD, so you might as well throw them in there. Yeah. And uh, so we played with that for a bit, and I mean, it went just as expected. It was a little bit, I don't want to say more fair. I mean, it was there was even ground of, like, the objective was kill the other person. Yeah, there was no, like, I have to get to that. So the second you clash, it's good to go. It, it was kind of like last man standing. Mm-hmm. There was no respawning, just one life for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, unlike Slayer on the video games, enemies do not respawn. As well as instead of having, you know, like a mix of Spartan elites face each other, it was Covenant versus the UNSC. And, but as you said, the objective is the same. Just take each other yeah, out. Yeah, just take each other out, you know, with... The random equipment that somehow drops on the board very fairly, you know, <laughs> whatever you have. So it's it's, it's it, it was a more interesting mode and probably my favorite mode that we played a couple rounds with that was a little bit more competitive was Capture the Flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Capture the Flag is a little different than what you got in the video games. So when a flag is dropped after being captured, it remains on that spot until another character picks it up. The flag will not be returned to the base of origin unless a character takes it to their base. Yeah. And, you know, since there is no respawns in this game mode except for Master Chief and the Arbiter, they can only come back after three turns once they die. So, Which is that's kind of fair. I kind of like that. I, I do, but then it would just turn into a 1v1. Because you think if you do this on Legendary after a while, it will definitely just turn to a 1v1. And Legendary will help it. I mean, if you're on any of the other casual modes... One life, one hit. Yeah. So if your grunt's <laughs> just going around punching up your Spartans, like, you're screwed. Which is basically what happened a uh, handful of times. Grunts are oddly very powerful, according to the DVD. Yeah, DVD loves Samungoy. It has a bias about that. So, yeah. Uh, so, overall, you know, that's a, that's a good part of the game. We want to talk about now kind of the general reaction, and then we'll move on to the end of our, you know, we'll go a little bit more into our gameplay and, you know, kind of what we, we think could have improved it. So, yeah, the, the general reaction, it's really hard to find reviews for something like this. But I will say Board Game Geek is kind of like the go-to for it's a all, staple for it. Yeah, yeah, all the board game things. So the game would receive a 5 out of 10 rating from 219 reviews as of September 2019 on BoardGameGeek.com. And I, I, I went and I, I read through a lot of these, and many would state that the game was too simple, yet the instructions were too complicated, leaving it to fans to modify the rules so that they would be easier to understand. Also, that the game was widely unbalanced and made for a very one-sided campaign. So that, that wasn't just us saying it. Like I went, I went on there, and a lot of people were like, yeah, this is very just not balanced. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, is we read all these reviews after playing it because we wanted to kind of experience it, not mm-hmm, like be... Mm-hmm bogged down because like 
when you see a movie and everyone's like, this movie sucks, you're already kind of going into it with that. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to try it. So we realized for ourselves, yeah. it's very one-sided. Yeah, a lot of people have those same kind of uh, views about it. So also, you know, this this game, you can find it anywhere online from 30 to, for some reason, $90? It's an IP that wasn't sold that much that I think is bringing a comeback or even just like a collector's item. Yeah, I think I think more for a collector's item, but you know, you can find it on Amazon or eBay for about 30 to 40 mm-hmm. easily. But I mean, I I did see whenever we made a post on our Instagram saying like, "Hey, we we just got this." A lot of people said they loved the game as a kid. And that makes sense because I remember some board games that I played as a kid or even some mm-hmm. video games where you just kind of threw the rules out. Even that, like, Pokemon Trainer game, I don't know if you've ever played that, where you went around, caught Pokemon different regions. Yeah, we were, we were talking about it Saturday. Yeah. I ignored a lot of the rules as a kid. <laughs> I just wanted to catch Pokemon. And so I think this is where that falls into that vein, same vein. After Saturday, I can tell that after about an hour into a game, you start throwing rules out and just uh, shoot from the hip. Pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, so I, and, and again, they advertise this as a family-friendly game. I, I don't think it was it was supposed to be marketed to guys in their their mid to late twenties, for the most part. I mean, I, I think I even saw maybe one or two people on uh, game gameboardgeeks.com saying or boardgamegeek.com say like they actually did enjoy this. Someone actually wrote what looked like a, a fucking essay about how this was better than the games. Hmm. I skimmed through it, but I couldn't. I, I was just like, I, I don't want to read this because at the end of the day, this is objective. Granted, when you have a five out of ten rating from 219 reviews it does got to say something yeah it's it's a middle of the road it's it's a wash it's not a complete failure it was potential and the one thing that we really need to touch on with this this was the base game mm-hmm. yeah there were supposed to be expansions and they had announced them but i'm assuming with the terrible reception that we're seeing from it and probably with B1 and several others going out of business that Mm -hmm. it wasn't something they added to it or that Bungie or even Microsoft saw viable as income. Yeah, more than likely from the reviews and the fact that it was just like, nah, like, I don't think people enjoyed it. I think this was rushed. Like, we couldn't find a We found basically no backstory on this. Like, we, we did try, but there was just nothing really to be found. Which is always kind of disappointing. I do love kind of that backstory about how everything came about. But I, I want to say that this was rushed. This was a very last-minute decision. Because at the end of the day, the only really detailed things that came from this were the little characters. Yeah, I, I love the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I want to do with this, before we really dig our teeth into this, I want to spiel this Herreras, Herreras, Game of the Year it. Let's Game of the Year it. Let, let's, let's go through... The, the game concept, the rule structure, the layout and design, and let's see what worked yeah, and what didn't. G- give our actual kind of review of it. Yeah, and let, let's go through. So so the game concept, the originality. Mm-hmm. I would say for the time, it's, it's pretty up there because it's mm-hmm. not only is it a base builder, it's a base builder DVD game that even the, and even though the DVD is not essential to what you're doing, it still had content for that character life sheet it still gave us our awesome Halo announcer mm-hmm. to kind of announce he, a couple yeah, he, things he, on it. Yeah, something we didn't talk about. The guy who does all the multiplayer announcing, he was also on there. Yeah, so he was on there. 
you know, we had a little bit of voice acting. We had a little bit of buildup for the story. Mm-hmm. So there, I would say it did well in the originality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, originality, I, I'd give it 7 or 8 out of 10. Yeah, I think it did well. Playability, a little different. <laughs> uh, I think this is where that unbalanced issue comes in. Mm-hmm. I think we got... I'm I'm a board game geek. I absolutely uh-huh. love board games. Jesse saw my board game backpack the other day. I'm a big nerd for board games. It was beautiful. This to me was not fun to play. No, it was a chore, man. And that that's what kind of sucked because I was really looking forward to this. Yeah, it, like for us, it wasn't us having to crunch a book into a week to give it to you guys. It wasn't us having to go and replay and find details. It was us being able to have a drink, order a pizza, and sit and play a board game together yeah and we felt like it was more of a chore of like all right kill my characters because yeah i literally can't do anything yeah i was like okay we have to play this next one i was like oh my god what's the next one yeah. like like it didn't have like that that game we played saturday before you left like i wasn't itching to do it again like you know like the, like i didn't feel that the second we played the first campaign i was like oh boy but, you know, we wanted to get through all of this because we mm-hmm. want to be able to at least see if, like, maybe there was something we're missing. Yeah, maybe maybe we're doing something wrong. And we did switch to Legendary for our last stuff uh, just to play through it. And obviously that big shift definitely changed the paradigm. Mm-hmm. I would say having that health really increased it. And the really the only way to play is with Legendary just because with Normal and Heroic, it's you're dead, you're dead after mm-hmm. one hit. It does add a lot more time when you do Legendary, mm-hmm. but I think... It's still one-sided, though. Yeah. Like, even on the map where you had to hold that spot for seven turns, there's no way you're going to survive that seven mm-hmm. turns unless you somehow killed all my people. Yeah. I Yeah, I, th- I think gameplay for me, I want to say is like a three or four out of ten. I, I really, it, again, it was a chore, which was disappointing because mm-hmm. yeah. I, I thought this was going to be like a fun experience for us. Yeah, and it was. It was like, oh, fuck, I got to build a map and again. Then, and then we were sitting there like looking at the TV confused and we're just like, does like, that go there? Yeah, and we're uh-huh. like, and the, a lot, some of the shapes were very similar. So we're like, are we using the right one? Yeah, so that was tough. Now we're on to game value. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it bring to us? You know, dollar per hour. Is it yeah. worth it? No. I was robbed. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately not. We 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 purchased this secondhand, and um, for for a decent price, thirty bucks, we got this. Yeah, I, which like I remember we first started. I think the price fluctuates because when we first started this podcast, I remember seeing for like eighty bucks, and I was mm-hmm. like, eh, we may not be playing that for a while. But <laughs> yeah, so, so so we found one, a little beat up, but still got our play in, still had the pieces we needed. It was actually Good. it was actually two. Yeah, it was actually a cannibalized weird one and a half, one and three quarter game. So, so we had some extra pieces, which is nice. Pieces and characters, which I, I will say, I guess we can talk about later, like maybe f- modifying the gameplay. Exactly. And I think that would add with the rule set, which is where we get into our rule structure, which is composition, clearness, and comprehensibility. I'm going to go ahead and just go all three of those are really low on the tier. Mm-hmm. I think it was... I think they tried. It almost felt for a lot of the rules that they translated this from another language into English. Yeah, it was. It, it, was it felt a little bit like that, where they wacky. structured it really wacky. Mm-hmm. The rules weren't clear cut. Some were. Combat, they put a lot of effort into what goes into combat. Mm-hmm. Movement, they're like, you move that many spaces. And then going back to what we were talking about, tokens, put them wherever. Yeah, it was like. It's almost like they had an editor go through and like you you need to like implement this stuff and they're like put it wherever. 
Yeah, just, just I don't know. If it goes in there, it goes in there. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, well, because you for, do you. For the map designs, like the teleporters go here, the objectives go here. Like, why couldn't have they just said the tokens go here? Especially in campaign. Yeah, like... That was my thing. We weren't just making a map up. It was we wanted to go by the structure. We wanted to mm-hmm. be very structured with it when we started because we didn't really know what we were diving into. It, that would have balanced it so much. Mm-hmm. So much. But yeah, I, I want to say, yeah, again, probably three or it's four. It's low. It's, it's, it's unfortunately very low and... It, it, I think it really hurt our initial looking at it because we were just kind of flustered of like, does that piece go there? How does this build? Mm-hmm. The fences don't go together. This is this. So it eh, it was all right. Yeah. So now we move to layout, now, which is the box, the board, and the rules. Box itself, I think is fine. I think it was yeah. all packaged really well. Mm-hmm. I think for the most part, it gave you a decent uh, layout for stickers that go into characters mm-hmm. for the different pieces and how they stack together. It goes back in the box. That's one thing I can compliment <laughs> is the pieces go back and they fit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but even like with the rules, let's say like, I remember you pointed it out, the rule book we had, you could see some like literal design flaws of like yeah. words being cut off halfway words through. Words were cut off, kerning ruined a few different like weird sections of it. Mm-hmm. And yet it looked like they typed it up and they go, yeah, we need about that. We need about like, uh, you know, a third of the page. And yeah. then they slap on the card to show you like what each thing does. And it clearly clipped off some letters. Yeah, it, it was interesting. So yeah, you had that. And then the board itself, which was the pieces, which I fall, I think falls more to the design. Lackluster. Lackluster. Boring. It, it, it almost seems like it, they came from like a generic shop of like, do you want pieces, extra pieces for your your board game? These are bland. These are straightforward. You can just add these to your thing. Yeah. So so here's your color options. You're at the factory. We can do blues and whites. Okay. Give me like a kind of grayish blue, a kind of lightish bluish whitish, and then like a lightish bluish. That's all I can afford. Here's the color <laughs> of your pieces. So that was unfortunate with the board game. Itself was the board. It was okay. I think expansions probably would have allowed for a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been cool to see some type of terrain or something that yeah. wasn't just chain link fence, which is not something you deal with. In that was Halo. the only thing that was that was unique apart from the blocks was a chain link fence of all. Things. Yeah, and that doesn't really make sense in the universe. But oh well. But I think going on to probably where you and I agree, maybe a little differently, maybe the most, is the design of it, the mm-hmm. functionality and the workmanship. I don't know. I, I'd say, again, it's like I I don't hate it for the most part. I think it, it works well. I just I, – I don't know. I think like it, it was rushed. I, it could have been way better. Mm-hmm. So functionality. So, so, yeah. so we're going to that. I, I would say it's middle of the road. It, it functioned – if you played it with your friends just without the DVD, I think it was fine. It was kind of based on the fate of the dice, how you rolled. Mm-hmm. But with the DVD – it added a lot of just downtime and lag time to you playing the game because you had to go, mm-hmm. okay, we're going into combat. Okay, it's this type of combat. Okay, I'm picking my character. Mm-hmm. I'm picking my gun. Then I pick the defending character. Do they have invincibility or a bubble shield? No. All right, let's watch some really poorly shot shot from Halo yeah. 3. And, oh, the grunt one. <laughs> and, and, and it seems like you've, t- you've yeah. taken out all of, I don't even say skill, but the involvement in the game. Mm-hmm. So I think the DVD helped at some points hindered a lot for us because we got kind of bored of it but i forced you to keep doing it because it's a dvd <laughs> game so i i would say functionality wise on either end it hits, it hits that five out of ten 
Yeah, I, I, I could have done without the DVD. Again, like, it, it, it was new and interesting at the time, but it just, it slowed things down for me so mm -hmm. much. I would have rather rolled the dice and see what would have happened. I All the way. Yeah, because the DVD aspect, for me, it's worked in one game really well. Two games really well, I'll say. It's worked in those DVD trivia games for, like, shows like Seinfeld, The Office, mm -hmm. Friends. Yeah. Uh, Seen It, I think it's called. Those are fun. The other one that I would say is... Not related to this, but it's more of a board board game, is Atmosphere. And in Atmosphere, you take on the role of like a creepy crawly character that has to get these keys to unlock this demon door thing. And the DVD aspect is this kind of like C-list voice actor dressed as a Crypt Keeper kind of character who will, during this hour-long game, chime in at random points. And what it is, is the DVD selecting random scenes. And it'll be like, blue player, do you have this key or do you have that? If you don't, you're banished or you lose a turn. And it, it gives you an interesting aspect that doesn't have you go, brute, spike, this, this. <laughs> you're making, you're, Watch that scene. You're making that more exciting than what it was. Sorry. <laughs> brute, four seconds later. Click, 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 spiker, four seconds later. Yeah, so... <laughs> I, I don't think it did that well. I think it was interesting. I think it brought more of a concept to the game that could make it interesting, mm -hmm. especially if you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I'm watching the Brute do this. Oh, I'm watching Master Chief do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I know for a fact I would have fucking loved this as a kid. There was a, a small time in my childhood when I was like 10 or 11 or 12 when I did get some games like HeroScape and Battle Ball and I would force my dad to play with yeah. me. So like, you know, and I can I could definitely see how this was appealing and I definitely think that our review as well along with, you know, other reviews, as I've mentioned before, we have to take this whole thing with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, a lot of people and someone literally just commented on Instagram a few minutes ago saying how they they you they know loved it. Yeah, they're like, Oh my god, I haven't played that in years. I loved it. Like so it was tailored for kids. I, I do have to say that but at the end of the day, we are looking at this as adults. Yeah. You know, it didn't straight up say for ages six to ten. Yeah, and it's full of nostalgia glasses. I mean, I look at Halo C E two and three through nostalgia glasses because like mm -hmm. that's what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And some of you guys have grown up with four and five. Yep. And I know a lot of you enjoy 5, and a lot of you enjoy 4, and other games. And some of you, your first ones were either ODST or Reach. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, that's your game. So, Which is fine. Yeah, which is fine. So not to say you shouldn't like this. It's just objectively, it just wasn't good. Yeah. The one thing I will say, finishing off our game of the year, is workmanship. Mm -hmm. These are some of the best miniatures you can find for that price point. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to find like a Dungeons and Dragons Warcraft or excuse me Warhammer miniature, I mean you're paying thirty bucks for that miniature. Mm -hmm. These were done extremely well. The colors made it very apparent that like this yellowy character is Master Chief. These blue ones are your Spartans. These mm -hmm. green ones are the Marines. So you can never get that lost. Same thing with the Covenant. Mm -hmm. They did really well with that. I think the cards themselves were interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought they did really well with that and with the weapons and utility cards. Yeah. So much, not so much like the user interaction with the DVD, but the layout and the use of some some uh, theater elements, mm -hmm. along with you know actually bringing in kind of the 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 profit to voice and all this stuff. I think that was actually was done well. Yeah, it looked good and it felt like Halo. You had the music playing in the background, like that was done well. So much the interaction was a little touch and go, but it looked good. 
It did. And and it it definitely brought back CE vibes of those green teleporters mm-hmm. because yeah. pretty much your only way around through like going <laughs> up and down yeah. stuff. But I I thought as far as the build of the game, it was good. It was really good. And for the price point of what we got it at, for the price point, I think it was originally a sixty dollars game, forty five to maybe even less. I, I can't remember the original price. Yeah, it, but... it was something up there. It had to be less. It was like it was thirty five or forty when I looked it up before. But still a good price, but a great price for what it was and yeah. for the quality of build. And obviously, they were going to try and do this like a Warhammer game mm-hmm. where you can keep getting expansions to the story lore, mm-hmm. keep going into like. Like, keep going through your halos. Keep mm-hmm. going through various missions. Yeah. Well, I was listening to a board game podcast about this one when I first started doing notes, and they had actually talked about they were going to use some pieces from the board or from the, yeah, the board itself. So worst case, because, you know, I didn't know that some people, depending on the game, intertwine other elements from games. So even worst case, you can get some cool character pieces mm-hmm. and some 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 base elements for your base or your, your board. Yeah, for your board. You can actually just cannibalize this game. Mm-hmm. Boom. You got D&D Halo. And for the the price point, as you said, it, it's pretty good. You're going to get some good stuff out of it. Yeah. and And I think, too, going back to kind of having kids do this, their imagination is much fresher than ours, and they mm-hmm. can kind of interact with it better. And you could probably make a really, really fun level. Like I said, like, oh, Master yeah. Chief to the top. We got to get to him. Or, you mm-hmm. know, like, we got to get to this. Yeah. And you can just play with the pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of that's there. I mean, it's, it's, it's a shame because there's plenty of strategy games out there that either deal with building your environment, kind of mm-hmm. like Betrayal at House on the Hill that we played the other night, mm-hmm. or games like Dead of Winter mm-hmm. that kind of involve evolving the board, um, or even Conan that involves building up a board, or even like yeah. D&D. Like, there's plenty of those out there that can give you that campaign element mm-hmm. that's just done so much better. And I think really what they should have done end of day is allowed this IP to be made in with the Warhammer series or with a D&D space spin to it Mm -hmm. because it allows itself to that it allows itself to be like okay you are a spartan two you're a spartan three you're spartan four and you're against these various forces whether you're against you know like the didac or whether you're against the full covenant fleet you can kind of make those stories up as you go and Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of dungeons and dragons or any of these lore building games that i think this should have transitioned to which kind of brings us to our final question with this is jesse how would you, one, improve on the base game, mm-hmm. and two, if we improved it, what would you want your first expansion to be? I would have definitely said, or I, I definitely would probably make the base building a little more intricate, mm-hmm. a lot like that alone. Because I, I thought to myself, like if we had two of these bases, we could have made some cool things. But mm-hmm. then I thought we can't have two. But it's like maybe cut all the pieces you have in half. And make things a little more intricate and a little more interesting. Along, Be a little more custom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Along with figuring out just uh, even on Legendary to balance out the combat just a little more. So it wasn't so one-sided. It was a fair fight. It was all up to the luck of the roll. Those, those were my two big factors for me was just the bases were were boring and bland as hell. And then just, again... You know, it was just like the second you take out one person, it's just a domino effect for your team. What What about you? So improving on the base game, a couple of things I'd like to see. Now, granted, like we said, this is a manufacturer who traditionally did family DVD games. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of going with very basic rules. And with the energy rule of having like five energy, 
I would have loved to increase the difficulty on it a bit and go almost XCOM with it, where it's like, okay, my sniper wants to shoot that grunt eight spaces away. My percentage of shot, I have to roll dice to get it within, I have to get like eight dice to do this. Mm-hmm. If I don't, it's a miss. And then after I do that, I can roll for damage. Kind of like with a lot of modern games where you're like, you roll, yeah, so you yeah. hit, then you roll for damage. Mm-hmm. I would love more of that. And everyone's got health points that you can kind of keep track with, with a reimagined yeah. tracker on your card mm-hmm. to help a bit. So I would have liked some of those things or like bunkers or things that could help, you know, possibly block a bullet that wasn't just line of sight stuff. Yeah, yeah. So those would be a few things. I would also have loved a reimagining of how the missions work. Mm-hmm. And what it takes to kill someone and the possibility of reinforcements, the possibility of spawns, to really help with that and balance it out. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how exactly I would balance it. I think, like you said, with a probably short time frame to build this, and they probably built it and then had to keep redoing it and then go through production, get caught up in production, mm-hmm. snags for whatever, and it's like, you have to release by this date. I don't know. I think you have to rework it a bit and figure out who your characters are and what they can do. I, yeah. th- I think it's too basic. I think that's the issue mm-hmm. with the balance is it's far too basic and there's nothing to really help with that. It's basic but somehow it's really really complex instructions for a very basic game. For a very basic game yeah. that was like combat was like four pages of like the eight pages. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the other rework. I would redo the instructions to make it more concrete and clear of what stuff does. Mm-hmm. Not put weapons and Halo items wherever you want it's like yeah. if you achieve this strategy of getting over to this corner, oh, there happened to be this item behind there. Mm-hmm. Or you, you build up enough and you're going to get a machine turret or a covenant machine, covenant yeah, plasma turret, something like that. Something like that that would make it more of a grandiose scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, like I said, a lot of it would boil down to imagination. But to me, that's also a very large crutch mm-hmm. of going, oh, we didn't really figure all that out. Put it wherever you want. Yeah. You know, so I think those things would need to be reimagined for, like, the next gen mm-hmm. of Halo Interactive. Well, well, they have ground battles and fleet battles from Halo. Yes. I, I've never played those, but those also look, like, very, a lot more intricate and a lot more interesting. 100%. And that's more like the Star Wars games they have out there, mm-hmm. where, like, like uh, I guess Star Command, or whatever it's called. It would be like those, where, like, you build your fleet out, you take turns, you have to, like, measure your angle of kind of where you're able to shoot within that oh fuck that i love it it's very intricate and it's it's a big time waster i love time waster games and so stuff like that would be interesting now mm-hmm. yes that's on the far end of difficulty spectrum and definitely even more niche market yeah but i need something in the middle like even even uh jessica like your girlfriend she likes board games like we do more party games but even mm-hmm. at the halo one she's like this is boring yeah, like, and, there's nothing to this, and she's not the kind to come in and dislike it because it's Halo. Yeah, it was she. Just, she was definitely just going to sit down and be like, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to do this," and then was like, uh, "Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is rough." So I think those are the two, three, five, ten things I think should change with it. <laughs> Bro- uh, the broad stroke, the broad stroke of it. So if we broad stroked it, so so you've changed yours, I've changed mine. If you had the option of saying the game's success, we've changed the rules a little bit. Here's the first expansion. What is yours? I would have to say something flood related, mm-hmm. other than just the flood kill you. Yeah, you you draw this card and the flood kill you. More so, have something where the terrain reflects more of the flood, and you have to defend a point. Mm-hmm. Maybe like there are double the amount of flood numbers, but they're half as easy to kill. 
or twice as easy to kill, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And I definitely want to say the other idea that kind of popped to mind is this maybe not so much it's it's something that's thrown into it. It's not so much like a whole campaign, but an idea of you can draw a card where, say, it's like an ODST card. And, like, you have three units to drop in oh, front cool. of you. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that to make it more reflect that kind of the, the in-universe things that go on. I would like that. That's that's really good. I, I really like that idea, like especially the ODST thing, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like it may be like a legendary card that's only a like couple in there, mm-hmm. but it can like drop it down. Or like Master Chief has the option of like an orbital strike or something like that. that would be a Mac cool. Blast or something Mac like Blast that, like, like they do in Halo Wars. Sure. And I think they would have to expand the game a lot. Like you'd have to get a lot more pieces and a bigger mm-hmm. battle. I would love to see Commanders. I would love to see you be able to get like Halfjaw or Johnson out there that can take a squadron with them that can take other points. Mm-hmm. So it's not just having Arbiter Master Chief or just your higher level characters. Mm-hmm. I think there should be perks to it. Like if you're around Johnson, you get a higher chance to roll. You get one more die to roll on this defense or you get one yeah, more yeah, die yeah, to roll yeah, on that yeah. based on who the character is or things like that. That may be a whole new game entirely. Yeah. But I think expansion of like maybe you swap Chief out and it's only a Marine battle, but yeah, Johnson's your commander. Yeah, or it's yeah. only a grunt battle, and you have like yep, yep, or something like that. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of cool. I, in my opinion, I think I would like that. And then, if potentially this was super successful down the road, you could throw in um, more forerunner stuff, or like you said, with the flood, almost like this zombie mode where no one mm-hmm. controls it. You just roll dice for the flood, and that's the, that's like where they move or something. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of chaotic. I think that would be kind of fun too. Yeah, I definitely like. I, I it had potential. We we and this is what we talked about a lot once we sat down and just talked about it after we played. It was like, man, on paper this would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. So definitely, like it. Ju- it just sucks. Again, I I truly think it wasn't out of laziness or anything like that. From how this was put together and what odd details are put in where. I think those were just they had enough time to do that. And I think kind of the the rug was pulled out from under them and they're like, we need this now. Like we need this to go up, you know, October 9th, 2009. That's when it needs to be released. Yeah, and that's and that's the idea on it cuz when we looked at B1's website, I mean, they were featuring it hardcore. Mm-hmm. Like from 20, 2009, 2010, 2011, they were really pushing the Halo Interactive cuz it had its own mm-hmm. banner, it had its own things in there. Yeah. So I so I think really it boils down to it may have done well in small play tests for specific things, mm-hmm. like you said, especially kids. Yeah. But I think when you take the nostalgia glasses off, you've played a board game or two, and you play this, you're like, I'd rather do nothing than play this game. And that's yeah. And that's a shame just because it was or I'd rather build a base or look at the miniatures. I mean, it just it didn't come together for me. Yeah, no. But you know, overall I think Again, maybe later down the line, God knows what kind of marketing we're going to get from Halo Infinite here soon. So maybe we're going to get some really crazy things coming or like what games are going to succeed Infinite. I know like I had a hell of a time playing the Halo Wars Risk. I know there's just a Halo Risk, but after Halo Wars, they came out with a Risk and it was such a fun game. I loved playing that. Like, So the idea of maybe we'll get something that has a little more time and care put into it, I would love that. Yeah, and to like see some user input on how those things go and mm-hmm. to build on sets. Like I said, a Warhammer-style thing would be kind of cool. Like, ground, like you said, ground battle, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I really enjoy those. It's an expensive investment, but if you, if you have friends who do it, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
So yeah, with with that being said, I know this episode was a little different. It wasn't as much content as we did really push our opinion on there because I think this is the first time that we've covered something that A, didn't really have canon to it, and B, really didn't have a lot of backstory to it either. And I guess for us, it was just a letdown. Yeah, and I guess that goes too, like, on what does this do for the lore? Not much. Literally nothing. A, a little tidbit here and there. It gives you ideas on this is potentially from those battles mm-hmm. in our few first three books mm-hmm. and possibly a little chunk from Reach. Yeah. But it was just more so, I think, to give the avid reader, the avid player, like, oh, that reminds me of this thing. Oh, that was cool. Ah, God damn, this campaign sucks, though. Yeah. It was essentially what was going on. But overall, I'd say I'd give it, uh, you know, probably a 5 out of 10 rating, honestly. There were some good things, good ideas. It just fell short. And unfortunately, you know, for us, it just, you know, it just felt like, okay, we're out 30 bucks in kind of the evening kind of thing. Which, again, I was looking forward to doing this and just having a goofy time with Alex. But instead, it was just me laughing at how mad Alex was getting over Mike Grunts killing all his Spartans. Yeah, so it was, it was all right. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I can't really quantify it. It's, I guess, a 5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. No replayability yeah. for me. Yeah. It should be. It should be a replayable game. It should be a game that's infinite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should, no, it should be. It should be a game that like, you transform the environment. You change mm-hmm. the objective. You do this, this, and that. But when you play it and you play through, like I said, Slayer, Capture the Flag, which is fun, Slayer, which is all right. But the campaign was meh. I, I, guess, I guess campaign yeah. should have been the selling point for me. It should have been. It, it should have been like, okay, you can play these other things, but we made these special that like you can get a bit like this kind of like, oh, you are the Master Chief or mm-hmm. you are the Arbiter trying to do this objective. So yeah, overall, that that was the interactive strategy game. Please let us know what you thought about this episode. This was probably not, I don't want to say out of our comfort zone, but this is the first time we really had just a lot more to say that wasn't really scripted or referencing to notes too much. So let us know what you think about this. You know, if you liked it, cool. If you didn't, you know, oh well. Tell tell us in uh, tell us in Discord, why not? We always listen to your guys' feedback. I know a lot of our listeners can say that, you know, anytime they request, like, you should talk about this. Typically we do. And, th- and that goes back to, like, I want to hear with whatever you got on Instagram, YouTube, our Discord... What would you have done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us. Like, like, did you enjoy the game? If you did, awesome. What did you enjoy about it? If not, what didn't you like? And in your opinion, what would you change? Like, do you think we're on point mm-hmm. with that? Do you think we're completely off base and this is the Halo game of Halo games? I mean, let us know. Yeah, do you think this is a smear campaign from Finish the Fight? Yeah. <laughs> and even as we've kind of talked this down and up, one thing we're going to do that kind of helps push our brand a little bit but kind of gives you guys something is we're going to do a raffle for this game. Mm-hmm. So each member of our community who signs up for our Marine tier, which is the $5 a month tier through Patreon, from when this episode releases through the end of October 2019, and to pick uh, one of our members to uh, basically win the game. And what we're going to go ahead and do is we're going to go ahead and mail the game out to you along with a copy, a signed copy of mm-hmm. our episode notes and kind of like little details that we have in there that we may have written down or not shared on here that was kind of between us. So yeah, so if you have any questions with that, hit us up in Discord, hit us up in Instagram, but it would be at that $5 tier uh, through the month of October 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so $5 or more, you know, any, anything. And this goes along with our current Patreon members. Yeah, and, and along with our current Patreon members who are with us and, you know, 
recommend checking out our Patreon as well. We've got some really cool rewards, whether it's uh, bonus episodes, behind the scenes stuff, posters, shirts, all those things on there. Yeah, you can you, check it you, out on our Patreon. You get Patreon. access to our notes, which I, a few people have already said like that, that was amazing for them. Have two, a few people said they've already been reading through them. Yeah, so it's, it's stuff like that. We really like to interact with you guys and give you guys you know, the option to like really see what we do um, and also really, really help us out and create these episodes. And wrap this up with some awesome Patreon shoutouts for our members who are really awesome in supporting us and supporting what we do. And mm-hmm. we love you guys for it. We do. Uh, so that goes out to Mike, Skyjack, Baby Z, and Charles Zitter. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for really what you do and helping us out and making this possible. Yeah. And again, thank you for tuning into this episode. We're going to go back to the norm because the next episode that you will be hearing is The Cold Protocol. Mm-hmm. So we're back to a book, baby. Yep. We're, we're back to kind of the normal pace of what you guys know and love coming from us. So again, thank you for tuning in. And with that, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I think we're just getting started.